Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. What a show we have today. Our guest today is Ben Nemton. He is the New York Times bestselling author of What Do You Want to Do Before You Die? and star of MTV's highest-rated show on iTunes and Amazon called The Buried Life. As a co-founder of The Buried Life Movement, Ben's message of radical possibility has been featured on The Today Show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, Fox, and NBC News. In fact, President Obama called Ben and The Buried Life inspiration for a new generation, and Oprah declared their mission truly inspiring. Ben has headlined business conferences and spoken to Fortune 100 leadership teams around the world, garnering standing ovations from teams at AIG, Anthem, Amazon, FedEx, Harvard, Microsoft, Verizon, and many more. He is recognized as one of the world's top organizational culture thought leaders and was ranked third best motivational speaker in the world by Global Gurus in 2022. Ben will be presenting the Leon I. Ginsing Commemorative Address and Luncheon Passion to Purpose, the Ripple Effect of Authentic Leadership at ACHE's 2023 Congress on Healthcare Leadership, which takes place March 20th through the 23rd in Chicago. His presentation will share how leaders can create a ripple effect of authentic leadership to create healthy, happy, and successful organizations. You can register for Congress today at ACHE.org slash Congress. With that introduction, Ben, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Such a pleasure to have you. Eric, thanks for having me. Okay, if anybody's done a Google search ahead of time of of you and understanding your background, um, they're going to see stuff. They're going to see the buried life movement. So, how did that initiative begin? And then, I guess you know, really, how has it evolved over the years to where it is today? Well, it began as just a two week road trip in 2006 when I was in university in Victoria, British Columbia. I, I was actually feeling pretty discontent. In fact, that's an understatement. I actually got hit with my first depression when I was in my first year university. I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed, you know, and sort of live the, almost like a perfect life, quote unquote. So I wanted to do well at school. I wanted to do well in athletics. I was on the under 19 national rugby team. And for all un- of intents and purposes, I was, I was living sort of a life that I thought was going to make me happy, but ultimately I put so much pressure on myself that I started to lose sleep and get anxious about performing well at the World Cup where I was going to be playing in the rugby under 19 World Cup. And I, this this lack of sleep, this constant pressure, this anxiety that I was feeling, it all contributed to me sliding into this depression, which ultimately had me drop out of school. I, I got dropped from the national rugby team because I just couldn't go to practice. I was unable to leave my house, uh, my parents' house at the time. and And so I was really crippled by this. Uh, and it was the first mental health crisis that I'd ever been through. And luckily, my friends actually kind of pulled me out of the house and had me come work with them in a new town for the summer after I dropped out of school. And I started to meet new kinds of kids, kids that were different than the kids I'd been hanging around with in high school, kids that had traveled, kids that had were creative and just had had, had imagined things and then done them. And I really got energy from these these new friends. And I realized that some people gave me energy and some people drew energy from me. And I realized that I had to be around people that gave me energy, especially at that time in my life. So I made this commitment as I was starting to feel back to myself after the summer away. And I finally found a therapist that I could talk to. And so I was understanding that this is normal, you know, this, these types of feelings happen. And 
I saw, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and only surround myself with people that inspire me. And that changed my life. That one decision, because I, I, there was one kid that I knew that was inspiring and he was a filmmaker from my neighborhood. His name was Johnny. And I called him up and I said, Johnny, you make movies. I want to make a movie. Let's make a movie. And so we, we set out on this, this mission to create a film around a bucket list, as well as helping other people achieve their bucket list items. And we gathered two other friends and we thought, let's go after this list and for two weeks and let's help other people and let's make a short film and show our friends. Well, that two week road trip ended up lasting 10 or 15 years. <laughs> and the, the the list items that we thought were completely unachievable, these pipe dreams, these moonshots that we never thought we would actually do, make a TV show, sit with Oprah, make, you know, um, have a beer with Prince Harry, you know, um, they ultimately ended up happening. And, and we ultimately ended up feeling even more fulfillment from helping other people do things on their list. And so this whole two week journey evolved into this really this journey of self-discovery of who I truly was and this journey of being true to myself. And ultimately now I'm realizing that that is my life's purpose is to figure out who I am so that I can be truer to myself because that allows me to create a bigger impact. That allows me to be happier. That allows me to be more fulfilled and, and have more energy and really unlock the gifts that only I have. And I think we all have these gifts that only we can uh, give to the world. And I really believe that we actually have a responsibility to do those things because we're the only ones that can do them. And so I started to realize there was these real life lessons that were, I was learning through this, what began as just a, a lark, right? It was just for fun, just to go out and do the things we'd always wanted to do and have a laugh. And started to realize, wow, writing down your goals is very powerful. Sharing your goals is very powerful. And ultimately, all these things that we were doing are the things that people regret not doing at the end of their life. So I started looking at research and looking at that people regret the things they didn't do at the end of their life, not the things they did. I started to understand why we're not going after these personal passions. And then I started to connect purpose to mental health. And that when you're doing these things that you love, I mean, obviously you're happier, but also you're a better performer at work. You're a better leader. And when you encourage your teams to do the things that they love, they want to stay. And you create an environment where people feel like they can be their true self and that unlocks potential. And I think for healthcare, it's really important these days, especially now more than ever, that, you know, given the challenges with workforce, given the financial issues, given the reg regulatory fluctuations and all the the increased number of challenges that we show that we care about our team and our people by taking a real interest in who they are and what they're passionate about at work and outside of work. And so that's how this two week road trip has evolved into me, you know, speaking 150 times a year. And I want to pull something out of what you just said, because I think it's so important and it resonates so well. And you were talking about the, you know, going through a mental health crisis there and really looking for inspiration and understanding where your inspiration came from. And so many times when you ask somebody who inspires them, they will reference an, a historical icon or a sports icon. And then you said it's the people around you that you were looking for inspiration from. And then to go on to you know what you also alluded to is you're crossing your own bucket list items off here. Yes, you're taking pictures with Prince Harry and meeting President Obama and sitting here with April, but 
with, with Oprah, but you've been able to do this and help other people cross their bucket light, uh, bucket list items off. So what were some of those achievements that really stood out to you that other people had on their list that you helped them achieve? Well, we found a, someone sent us the hashtag on Twitter that read hand for Tory, hand for Tory. And we clicked on the hashtag and it turned out it was a group of friends in Ohio that started this hashtag for their friend Tori, who was born with one hand. And her biggest dream was to have a bionic hand, sort of a robotic hand. And as I'm sure you're aware and other folks listening, they, you know, those are rather expensive. And so her family didn't have the means to buy the hand, but her friends wanted to figure out a way to make this happen so she could do things that she hadn't done so far in her life. And so we were able to reach out to a company called Hanger Clinics who make bionic hands or these robotic prosthetics. And they gifted us a hand for Tori and we surprised her with it. And, uh, it was it was an incredibly meaningful experience because she didn't know that <laughs> what we were doing, and it was actually on stage, which was kind of cool. So it was in front of thousands of people that knew what was going on. She didn't. She was called up. She didn't know what was going on. So it was a very impactful moment, and she cried. And she, and then I followed sort of the journey afterwards. I go to Ohio and I saw through the process of her getting this prosthetic fit, and then using it for the first time but her friends were also there so i got to meet her friends and so she told me afterwards which was really i think the cool part was that after this experience she decided to change her major at university and study social work so that she could start working in the homeless shelter in her small town in ohio and she said because of this experience it made her want to pay it forward and that's when i started to understand that there is this ripple effect Mm -hmm. that that happens when you help someone else because you don't just help that one person, you end up helping the people connected to them and their family and their friends. And I think this is an, a very powerful idea because it proves that one person can create an incredible impact. And I think it's incredibly important for healthcare leaders to not only internalize this and understand it because that can get buried by the day-to-day, by the work and by being a few degrees away from the inpatient. You know, Even if you're a doctor saving patients' lives, you're not going home with them to see how that impacts their family, right? It's it's rather impossible to measure that impact, but it's obviously very real. And so to remind them of that so that they can kind of get re-energized around their purpose, but also to remind their teams of that and, 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 and just remind anyone that all actions create reactions. So a small gesture of kindness, a small gesture of gratitude or helping hand, all of those create this ripple that's hard to measure, but but it's very real. And the title of this episode is The Ripple Effect of Authentic Leadership. And it's a perfect segue as you were discussing healthcare leaders there. You know, when we discuss the term authentic leadership, we hear bringing your authentic self to work every day. You know, you hear that a lot, but sometimes it's not practiced or people don't really understand what that means exactly. So what does that mean to you? What does the term authentic leadership mean? It means, first and foremost, being true to who you are and having the courage to express that as you lead. And I think it also means taking a real interest in, in who the people you're working with are and, and, and having that come from an authentic place. So, you know, what, what are they interested in? What are they passionate about? What's on their bucket list? You know, how, how could you maybe just help them as a, as a person? I was talking with a leader just on a Zoom call before this, and he was, uh, he's, it's an entrepreneurial program that he's involved with. And so he was asking different generations that were in the program, 
who their mentors were. And, and, and folks in their 50s and 60s, you know, named like five, six people that were mentors for them growing up. People in their 40s named three or four, you know, in the 30s, few. And in their 20s, they didn't even understand the question. Like, what, what, what do you mean? It's like, so I think that younger folks these days don't have the mentors that older folks had in the sense that we're, we're, we're doing a lot of things virtually. We're more disconnected. There's a lot more going on. And I think that one way you can really connect and, and be that quote unquote mentor for your teens is just showing up for them as a human being in any way that you that you can. And at first and foremost, that means taking a, an authentic interest in who they are and, and what they want. Help them find purpose at work. Help them find purpose outside of work. And I know that can seem like a daunting task, but it's actually not as difficult as you might think to help people achieve their personal passions outside of work. Because the reason why we don't achieve these goals, right? You can call them bucket list items. You can call them dreams. You can call them passions. You know, you can call them goals. They're really the same thing. It's those things that mean a lot to us um, outside of work, right? That could be in a relationship category. That could be in uh, mental health, physical health. That could be intellectual. What do you want to learn, right? It's not just adventure and travel is, is what we think about as a bucket list. I like to think about a bucket list as covering all 10 categories of your life. So it reflects all the things that are going to bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment. So as a leader, if you take an interest in that person, you can find one or two of these things that they're passionate about. And because what we're missing with these things, as I said, is accountability, because there's no deadlines for these things. That's why we push them. There's structures of accountability at work. So we can just check in on this goal every once in a while. And that will actually drive them towards that thing. And that creates a culture where people feel like they can be their true expression. And ultimately, that's a place where you want to work and you want to stay and you want to thrive is an environment which which really in, encourages you to be your true self. And so I think that's what authentic leadership is. One, being authentic and living the life that you want your team to live, right? Leading by example, being open and honest and vulnerable about the things that you might even be struggling with, because that will allow them to share the things that they're struggling with. And that means you can divert a crisis before it becomes a crisis. And it also means take an authentic interest in who your team are and what they want inside and outside of work. And then if you can, even helping them uh, achieve some of those things or having, you know, their leaders, their managers understand what those are and they can check in on those kind of in their reviews. I'm fascinated with that mentorship discrepancy you just mentioned. And I think whether it's in a healthcare system or any other business, you're going to find um, a, a workforce that does have, you know, older folks, 50s, 60s, 70s, and there are younger the younger generations also walking the halls, maybe in their twenties and thirties. So do you think that it is, and where's, I'm not, the not, blame is not the right word, but is it that there's the lack of willing mentors for the younger generation or does the younger generation, are they less willing to accept mentors because they have so much digital technology at their fingertips where they need an, uh, an answer to a question they go to Google. We didn't have that. We had to seek out and answer. They have technology. In your opinion, where does that discrepancy sort of come come into play? I think it's probably a little bit of both. And I'm definitely not an expert on this. So I was just speaking from what my gut is. You know, if, I think that probably there was a trend where leaders, you know, were, were just 
taking less interest in the the human being leading up to COVID, you know, and I think there was probably less of that type of, of interaction. And then COVID hit and there was, you know, a digital workforce. I mean, it's different in healthcare, but, you know, just talking overall. And I think that people are having uh, issues bringing people back to work because the younger generation is like, well, why? Like, I, I wasn't, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm getting the same thing at work at home than I would at work. Why would I, you know, go into work? Like, but if you have those meaningful relationships mm-hmm. at work from your leaders, you have that guidance, you have that mentorship, you have that, that real value of being connected to someone, then I think you'll be more inclined to, to come into work. I want to read you something that uh, one of our healthcare leaders wrote in a post on the ACHE blog. Uh, professional development is professional self-care. So with that being said, and you're, you're, you're kind of touching on it a little bit, how can healthcare organizations and leaders better support the personal and professional development of their workforce? Yeah, well, I think that they're, they're definitely one and the same. And I think that obviously, well, I guess not obviously, but I, I believe that a lot, there's, there, there are resources at a lot of, you know, that they, that these folks are, have at the different healthcare organizations that they're working for, uh, doesn't mean they always use them, or, or doesn't mean that they are aware of what those resources are. And so I find sometimes it's helpful to, one, remind people that this is the human experience. It's okay to, to not be okay sometimes, and um, we all have ups and downs. Uh, what's not okay is to not talk about it. And so here are the things that you have available to you, which by the way, a lot of Americans don't have access to these types of benefits, EAP or other types of wellness programs. So it's really a blessing to be able to have access to these and kind of reverse that narrative that it's, it's selfish to take care of yourself, to put yourself first, and that it's actually the opposite. It's service. Because by putting yourself first, you put yourself in a position to serve others. So this this idea of new leadership, by putting yourself first, you're able to serve. And that it's, I think it's the same block that we have when we think about taking time off, that we think it's, it's selfish or we feel guilty. But I like to think about it uh, like you, you take, you don't take time off work, you take time off for work so that you come back re-energized, you come back. Uh, and you also get give yourself space to think about solving problems in a creative way. And, and sometimes we need that space to give ourselves the ability to solve some of these complex problems. So I, I think that, again, and it comes from the top down. I believe that leading with empathy is, is such a huge, uh, valuable asset to have. And I, and I believe that that comes from sharing some version of your story, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, right? We all have had challenges in our lives. Uh, and I think by by being able to voice those, at the very least, what you're doing is you're connecting to your team, right? They're seeing that, that you are not very different than them because guarantee at least a quarter to a half of your workforce is, is severely struggling right now i mean it's just there's 
you know more than ever more than anyone <laughs> like how uh hard it's been for people coming out of the pandemic and and dealing with anxiety and depression and so i think that you know creating an environment where people feel safe to talk about these things and know that they are supported and and connecting that to their professional development and just understanding that we all have to take care of our mental health just like we have to take care of our physical health and uh here's what i've been you know, struggling with in my life. And uh, this is actually how it has allowed me to be a better person, be a better leader. Because what I found personally is those things that I thought were my weaknesses, right? This depression, they actually turned out to be my strengths. Because every time I go through any type of dip, I learn things about myself. And I learn these habits, that, that are these things that I am forced to figure out that then I can utilize moving forward, right? I found a good therapist. I find uh, that meditation works for me. I find that getting out in nature is something that recharges me, right? I, I realized that hanging out with people I love actually is really good for me. I need to make sure that I prioritize that, right? Like my mental health toolkit evolves and I add things to it. And I also build empathy for other people that might be struggling, which as a leader is, is such an important thing, right? Having that firsthand sort of experience of like, yes, I understand what, what you're going through right now. And, and that comes back to like understanding the person. Ben, one of the other leadership philosophies we mentioned in your intro was this message of radical possibility. Um, can you break that down for us and what that means for healthcare leaders? So I have surprised myself with what is possible over and over again, to the point where now I have no choice but to believe that anything is possible because I've, I've done things that I actually previously in my life did not think were going to happen. So I forced myself to believe that anything's possible. And I think everyone has the ability to prove to themselves that these things are possible. If you think about in the history of mankind, pretty much everything we have right now, at some point, people thought was impossible. Mm -hmm. And now it's possible. So anything we think is impossible is possible, likely will happen. It's just a matter of time. And so now I think about challenges, not can I do it, but do I want to do it? Does this align with my values and Am I willing to put in the work that I know it will take to make it happen? Because just because it's possible doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right? We know it's going to be hard, but I know that there's a solution and I know that it's possible. And I think, you know, healthcare leaders are, are facing a lot of impossible uh, challenges right now. And um, so I, I think one thing that is important is to remember to celebrate the wins and not always just look at the next challenge because that is never ending. So it's re-energizing to celebrate the wins. And it's good for your team to, to, to sh remind themselves that they have been resilient and they have overcome these challenges and they've succeeded. So I find that to be a good practice as well as, you know, understanding that, and this is what I'll talk about in my keynote, are what are steps that you, simple steps you can take to build inspiration through action and, and what are simple ways that you can create accountability within your team to drive you know everyone forward and uh, and move through the blockages like fear um either the fear of what other people think or the fear of failure and those are the main things that stop us so you know that's that those are some of the things that I'm excited to to share in the keynote well, while we have you and on that topic, you know, without giving everything away, you just talked about simple steps. Anything else uh, attendees can look forward to hearing from you during that address? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, some of the, th- the first things you can do, one is to write down your goals, which seems simple, but it's actually really powerful. Uh, one, because it creates accountability. Uh, and what you do when you write down your goals is you, it's, when you read something, the difference between reading something and writing it down is when you write something down, you have to visualize it twice. And so you actually remember it at a deeper level because you have to you have to write you have to visualize it when you think about writing it down and then you have to visualize it when you actually write it down so it's kind of imprints on your brain in a deeper way so it it begins this process of reminding you that this thing is important to you and you also are forced to slow down to actually think about what is the thing that is very important and and you start to you start to build this accountability because you've, you've you've taken something that doesn't exist and now it's it's real. And then I think it's important to talk about these goals, whether they're personal or professional, because then you start to build accountability by really you think about, well, I'm, now I'm accountable to this person that I just shared this with. And so that's also important. Um, like if I tell you my goal is to write a book and like I bump into you in six months and you're like, hey, how's the book coming? I think, well, well I better start writing that book. Like it's just... You start to feel accountable because you've shared these these goals, um, and I think it's it's also important to start to think about like what are the the simplest ways that you can start to move even just a small amount forward towards this thing, so that you can start to create some inspiration by taking small steps of action and you know asking for help from other people, which sometimes is hard to do. But the only way that we've crossed anything off our list is through the help of other people. And uh, and that, right, of course, they can only help us because we we shared. And so you really have to move through the fear of what other people think or the fear of failure in order to ask for help and in order to share. And so this is the number one thing that stops us from going after our personal passions is, is fear. And so you kind of look at, okay, let's look at the fear of what other people think. Well, the truth is like people just aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. Like, they're just thinking about themselves and what other people are thinking about them. So it, it's, it's sometimes more of a made up fear and the fear of failure is, is a, is a very real fear. And, and, but these are just taxes you have to pay to achieve anything great, right? They don't go away. This discomfort that you feel really is growth at the end of the day, because you learn things about yourself and, but it's uncomfortable to, to, to learn things. Uh, you know, it's not easy. So you, you sort of have to pay that tax in order to move the ball forward. Just because I'm curious, I don't know, you know, is it healthy to mix personal and professional goals on the same sort of page? If you're writing them down, I want to increase revenue next year, but I also want to hike more. Or is it important to bucket those? I, I, I don't have an answer because I think it's personal preference. I like to um, make different buckets for pun intended for different mm-hmm. categories. So, you know, my, the, my latest book is the bucket list journal. And this is how, how you, you write your list in 10 different categories mm-hmm. in those 10 categories of life that I talked about physical health, mental health, you know, um, material goals, relationship goals, creative, financial giving back. And I think that's just helpful because it gives the list writing process. Uh, yeah. Some structure. Yeah, you just you completely answered my question and helped me go. And yes, it would be beneficial for me to create categories of these goals when I'm listing them out. Thank you very much. Ben, by the way, yeah, Ben, well, Minton, because, 
I, I would just say mainly because, you know, these are a lot of these things we, we don't realize we're not doing, right? Like these are the things that we realize on our deathbed and we're like, crap, I blew it. Like I, 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 I should have reached out to John, my high school friend years ago. You know, why did I let that relationship just wither away? Or why didn't I tell my dad how I really felt? Or why didn't I, you know, take my kids on that trip that I we'd been talking about, but we kept pushing because it wasn't never was right quite the perfect time, you know? Or why didn't I start this initiative to give back, you know? Or why did I just take more time to play and have fun, you know? And so those are the things that we regret. And those are the things that we kind of need to really be intentional about understanding and identifying so that we don't have those regrets at, at the end of our life. Ben Nempton is the co-founder of The Buried Life. Ben, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for helping me, helping our listeners, giving us a little preview here of what we can expect to Congress. Thanks, Eric. Can't wait. All right. Remember, you can hear Ben at ACHE's 2023 Congress on Healthcare Leadership that will take place March 20th through the 23rd in Chicago. To learn more and register, please visit ACHE.org slash Congress. And thank you so much for listening today. We'll, of course, catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.